Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of education research in the classroom. Each episode features a conversation with a different guest, teachers, authors and others interested in education, talking about what the phrase from page to practice means to them and the importance of applying evidence to classroom practice. Hi, and welcome to Series 5, Episode 23 of From Page to Practice. Today I talk to Joe Blackman, Assistant Head for Teaching and Learning and Head of DT. Hi, welcome to From Page to Practice. Today I'm here with Joe. Joe, could you introduce yourself, please? Hi, so I'm Joe Blackman. I'm the Assistant Head for Teaching and Learning at Sir William Perkins School, which is an all girls' day school in Surrey. Uh, Within this role, I deliver lots of teaching and learning CPD. I curate the teaching and learning library, and I also work with our early career teachers and PGCE programs. Um, In addition to this, so with my other hat on, I am the head of design technology, specializing in product design. Um, And I'm also just over halfway through a level seven course in senior leadership. And finally, um, I'm a new governor at a local secondary school as well. So pretty busy. <laughs> and absolutely loads for us to, to, to dive into there. Yeah. The CPD staff, the, your own CPD and the governance well. Loads. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> so before we do that, as everybody knows, next question is, what does the phrase from page to practice mean to you? Okay, so my father worked in publishing, so I basically grew up in a house where books were everywhere you turned. So whether it was sort of a fairy tale, autobiography or a crime novel, I learned that books have a great power to transport you back as well as forwards in time and educate you through any point in your life. So right now, from what page practice means to me, is an opportunity to absorb information to support my journey in being the best educator possible. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. So moving into that middle section now where we've, we seem to have three different avenues to go down, um, I'm going to start with the other question first. Did you say you've just started as, as a governor? Yes, yeah. Started this academic year? Yeah, I sort of, I, I started just before the summer holidays, uh, I got appointed. So I basically, I wanted to understand the inner workings of a school. So often when you're in a school, you sort of don't know how decisions are made higher up unless you're in the senior leadership team. And even then you're not privy to every conversation. So I guess the nosy part of me was like, I, I want to know as much as possible about the role that I'm sort of going into as an assistant ed. So I um, applied through Governors for Schools, which is a free free uh, company, charity-based thing. Um, just sent them that sent them my CV, and they sort of matched me with schools in my local area that I could sort of get to for meetings on my way home from school. 
Oh, that's great. And actually, just seeing as you've mentioned that, I, um, I've i started in the summer as a governor as well, but at primary level, and I used a website called Inspiring Governance, which rather than giving you the matches, you kind of more had to go to them. But it's still a really good way for anybody listening who's interested in doing that. Actually, a really good and fairly easy way of, of finding those schools that are in need of governors, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I would say that they're in short supply and they're definitely looking for people who are working in education so that they've got well-balanced governing bodies. And I would also just shout out, now that I am a governor, Governor Hub and Hampshire Governor Services have given some fantastic free CPD for me as a new governor so that I just understand how everything works and how I can sort of support my school on a governor level. I think it's a really interesting thing to do. So, so people who've been listening for a while will know that I'm not in the classroom myself anymore. But that's what I'm. I'm. I'm working with in education still. But I wanted to keep in by by doing the the governor role. And I found it really interesting so far. You know, you get to see the inner workings, like you said. You get to meet other people who've got a very different understanding of education, or maybe curriculum, or maybe just the day to day working in schools to what you do. And they're bringing something really interesting, and you're bringing something really important to that board as well Um, and I can't comment on it too much yet and I guess you're in a similar position having been doing it for a similar amount of time to me but for anybody who thinks that that's something they've got the time or ability to do I would would highly recommend it and I'm assuming from the way you've spoken you also would. Yeah definitely and as I work currently at a private school um, the school I'm a governor for is a state school so it means that I get to see both worlds and understand both worlds and I've you know there's been things that I've sort of been able to offer them insight on and there's also been things that I've been able to take away and sort of share in my context as well so I think like you know it's just another opportunity to share best practice. Yeah, I think both both sides are getting something from it, aren't they? The school needs someone to fill that governor seat to be do it and not just not just being a bottom on a seat actually, but being someone who's going to speak up, who's going to contribute, but also from your point of view, whether that's just enjoyment or career prospects kind of thing it's really useful to have I think yeah definitely um and it's also just been a really good way for me to understand I've I haven't lived in Surrey for for that long I sort of moved here for work so it's been a good way for me to sort of understand the local area and get to know where I'm living a little bit better as well so highly recommend it as a great CPD opportunity Absolutely. Well, that is a direction that I already wasn't <laughs> expecting this conversation to take. Before we started this recording, I always say to people, you know, the conversation could go in any kind of direction. We'll just see where it goes. And immediately, Joe threw out the governor thing and I went, yep, I'm going with that. And I didn't even know that was coming. <laughs> I think I would only say the only health warning with it is it's a lot of reading. I guess you, you've mm-hmm. probably found this as well. So you've got a lot of pre-reading to do before the meeting. So I guess if it's something that you're thinking of getting into, no, knowing that you've got sort of a few hours to sit and absorb all of that is is important yeah and being willing to have a go at something that you know nothing about and being okay with that so I've been made link governor for English and I know that my understanding of primary English isn't isn't there I, I don't I've, I'm not a primary primary specialist and so I have to realize that well one that doesn't matter because I'm already going in with an education background that's that's more than, than maybe I might have brought with me and two that's the point I don't need to be the expert but I need to listen to the people who are and be able to to work with them on that so you, you do get thrown into a position of 
feeling like you know a lot less than you thought you did before I think <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> definitely yeah. right well on that note uh, talking of knowing less than you did before hopefully now this is something you know more than you did before uh, because you've been studying for a for a qualification right yeah yeah so I'm doing a level seven apprenticeship in senior leadership funded through the apprenticeship levy um oh, so, okay what brought you into that so um it was basically when I was sort of applying for assistant head positions I thought um it, that this would be something that could go alongside doing that and I was very lucky enough to uh, be sort of internally promoted at William Perkins School as an assistant head so I've kind of done this alongside starting out in that role and it's it's sort of really supported bringing everything that I'm doing together because as part of the course you sort of learn um, all these different models and frameworks behind decision making, um, policy change, um, sort of forecasting and all of that kind of thing. And I guess what it what it's done is it's helped me sort of like bolster my approach a little bit um, and prioritize. So I think when you when you first start as an assistant head in something like teaching and learning, you just want to throw the kitchen sink at it. <laughs> and you're like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. But actually if you take your, you know, you sort of take yourself back a few steps and you go, no, what realistically needs to happen now? What are my priorities? And actually planning it out, it has sort of really supported in that way. Um, and there's been a lot of interesting reading books that I would definitely not have read before um, that that I've sort of been directed to as part of the course, which has, has helped support that. Well, that sounds really interesting and a bit of a contrast to, I've spoken to people before about doing a master's in education, the similar kind of themes come up as part of that. And everything you've just said seems more, I wouldn't just say practical because that gives a different swing to it, but it seems more uh, strategic and more technical to an extent than maybe the things I was thinking about before. So is there an example of something you've done that you've you've then been applying in your practice? Uh, yeah, so one of the main things that I've been working on, because one of my hats that I wear is um, looking after ECTs and PGC students. Um, and we also run the assessment only programme at SWIPS as well. Um, so getting new teachers into education and sort of responding to, so I guess the first thing I did is I sort of looked at sort of the global sort of economic picture of education and looked at the recruitment and retention uh you know shortage looked at um the 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 various targets that were missed in terms of teacher training this year last year you know all of that stuff and I just thought well how can we as an institution as a really great school to work at how can we um encourage people to want to work with us and train with us and stay with us so i've been working with my hr department at swips and and the rest of the senior leadership team to sort of look at how we can position ourselves to to sort of support people into their their journey as being becoming teachers because it's not until you're in it that you realize how you know i mean of course it's challenging but it is one of the greatest jobs in the world so we want we want to keep nurturing that talents and bringing them in and that's really important and and of course we're all on we're all on board with wanting to keep our early career teachers in yeah um but I don't think it always happens that way and I don't think there's always those kind of support mechanisms and whatever else put in place so what 
what have you been doing to to support them and what how have you found it going so far yeah so we we do we run sort of a a, pro, a weekly program for our ECTs and our PGC students sort of introducing them to various parts of the school but also education and linking it to the teacher standards so all that sort of basic stuff but in addition we have the the CPD library where we've got hundreds of books okay so I think it's like one of our PGC students was like wow when I showed her it the other day she was like you've got more books than I think any other school I've been to I was like tick thanks very much but we don't just leave it there we sort of we have our uh, half-termly teaching and learning working lunches where we discuss either an article a chapter from a book or just something that's going on in education at the moment just to sort of uh, encourage that interest of sharing good practice and everybody's welcome it's open to everybody. It's not just focused at heads of department. Like we'll do some CPD at heads of department, but we want everybody to be involved in the working lunches and our inset. So it's just making sure that what we're offering is manageable and achievable. Like teachers are famously time poor. So I see my role as kind of like the filter, if you like, the person who is signposting to the, the best possible thing for what they're working on so making sure that we really get to know our trainees our early career teachers what their targets are and sort of guiding them to the best practice and whether they you know some of them don't may not want to pick up a book that might be a completely overwhelming prospect so it might be di- directing them to a podcast first then a chapter then an article blog whatever whatever else and just making it as personalized as best and bespoke as possible as well as offering opportunities to attend things like research ed uh, festival of education the inner drive teaching learning summit like we try and sort of offer up as many opportunities as possible to access cpd to inspire and that sort of thing uh, some of the things you said there like, a while ago, you used the word engagement. I think that's so important. And then you've, you've kind of come back to it as you were finishing off there. But all of the opportunities that that staff are having then to engage with other teachers, teachers outside of their own school, teachers or people who aren't teachers who are who are speaking in ed- about education and research, all of those opportunities to connect with other people, I just think are so important because I think sometimes it can feel very lonely being uh, a new teacher can't it and not knowing quite where to turn to and if you've got that network around you not only inside your own school but outside and there's there's things that get you excited I think that makes a lot of difference yeah and I'm really keen to sort of sort of broaden this as much as possible and you know those those sort of year year three four teachers training them up to be mentors so that there's not that big gap because I think you do a lot of CPD when you're doing your PGCE your ECT1 your ECT2 and then it might kind of like stop a little bit (laughs) and then you might get your first position of responsibility maybe it's a head of year head of department role or something like that and and you all of a sudden you start start to do it again so I think it's what I basically don't I want it to be like a really iterative process so we just keep developing it keep up to date um and just keep learning basically like we're expecting our students to learn on a daily basis and we kind of need to do that too 
Well, that's the that's the main thing of CPD, yeah. isn't it? Continuous, yeah. continuous, continued, whichever one it's meant to be. But I think somewhere on the line, you're right, there can be a gap. It gets a bit lost along the way. And then I think that's where people become a bit cynical towards CPD because they go, CPD is what I needed when I was training. Yeah. And now I've had all this time without it. So why do I need it now? So how do you keep teachers at, at all levels kind of ticking over as it were like just wanting to to be involved in some way and I know that's probably a challenge but so uh, regular points of contact I would say are kind of the big thing so we have a weekly briefing on a Friday morning which I imagine a lot of schools have on one day of the week and there's always a teaching and learning spot um, a recommendation to a book our librarian recommends teach the new teaching and learning books on a sort of fortnightly basis um, we have our half-termly working lunches but I just always make sure that I'm just very, very available and sort of open to any conversations. And if I see something that I think people will find of use. So, for example, um, I know Inner Drive have been doing a lot of these flash webinars recently. So I've just been sharing them over email and through Teams. And, you know, it's been a delight to see when I've logged on to see them that other members of the school have been on it too. Um, what we also have bought into it, it must sound like I'm sponsored by Inner Drive, I promise I'm not. Um, but we bought into the CPD, the online CPD Academy, because we had Brad in for an inset last academic year and it was just phenomenal. So we thought, right, we've got to, we've got to keep this going. And by sort of buying into that and also through the stuff that I do, so I build pages on various things like retrieval practice or questioning or whatever else on our VLE so we have fireflies where we dump everything I shouldn't say dump everything (laughs) where we present everything um so I've created pages on each of those with just sort of manageable chunks on so that people can sort of dip in and out when it's when it's the right when they have sort of five ten minutes oh my target, my CPD target this year is to work on questioning. I'm going to go and see if Joe's added anything new to the questioning page or I'm going to go onto the Inner Drive Online Academy and and sort of work through some of those units related to that. So it's just making sure that like what we're doing is very, very accessible, easy, and you know can, can be done in sort of small chunks, I think is the most important thing. Yeah, strikes me as very flexible. You know, yeah, I'm going to de- de- develop myself in this area, but I know that I can dip in here, here, and here to to do that and get there. You know, whatever way you you need to. Yeah, right? and I think the most important thing is making sure that everyone's got their own autonomy autonomy with it. So I think the worst thing I know some schools do this, but I think for my school, I what I wouldn't want to do is sort of say, "Here's a book. I've bought one for everybody, and we're going to read this, and we're going to model our teaching on this." Um, throughout the whole throughout the whole year and I just think it's just quite a risky thing because not everyone's going to buy into that and uh and I think by letting people sort of find their own way with it and find something that interests them that's that's a far more uh successful way of getting people on board yeah, I think there's there's two ends of a spectrum, isn't there? You have to be a very particular type of school with a particular set of values and and staff buy into that when they arrive 
and they know that they're likely to be given a book to teach like this or there's the other end of there's the we want to be informed by a bit of everything and for you to develop how you want to develop and it, it works both ways doesn't it but yeah definitely I mean there's definitely a time and a place as you say for for sort of having your bible if you like um <laughs> but I think yeah just offering a, a real variety to sort of develop yourself in your own sort of way is really important I think it's good for for staff across the school to to know that it's okay to engage because I think at some points I felt like we don't engage with extra stuff we do what we need to do and that's never been my way of, of thinking but it's how I early on felt by the way other people reacted to me going to research ahead or me reading this book or me taking on a master's and we'll go back to qualifications in a minute but that that it's okay to want to be interested in these kind of things. So the more you can drip feed them out to people and they can be seen to engage with it, I think the bigger that kind of grows. Oh, yeah. And something we do do as well is we do a termly uh, teaching and learning raffle. So anybody who has sort of withdrawn a book from the library, they've attended one of the working lunches, they might have had a PGC student in doing an observation, you get a raffle ticket for each sort of way that you have joined in. And I do sort of a draw, a termly draw, and then you win sort of a nice teaching learning book and um, box of chocolates and that kind of thing. Because like, it'd be impossible to do that for everybody. Um, so this is just a nice budget budget friendly way of sort of rewarding and recognizing people's participation um and yeah i think that that that's just that's just another nice touch to be honest Oh, absolutely. And it's a way of, so say you didn't have, I'm not encouraging you to lie, but let me just go there a minute. <laughs> say you weren't having loads of people engage with things. It's still a way of of showing people there are people engaging. They don't know how many raffle tickets are in there that you're pulling yeah. out. And each turn, there'll probably be a few more because it's been a thing. People have been reminded it's there. People have been gone, oh yeah, I'll, I'll engage with that. And I've seen it done with a, a different thing, not a raffle like yours, but something else where it was maybe made to look a little more like people had engaged with it more than they had. But over time, yeah. people really were engaging with it more. So like I said, not encouraging people <laughs> to lie, just thinking, you know, if you're trying to create that that culture, you know, the more it's an accepted thing, the more people engage with it, the more others want to. Yeah, and I think basically by collecting that data, so to speak, um, what I was then able to do is sort of do another draw at the end of the academic year and those people were invited to go to research ed so that was a real sort of like cherry on the cake I suppose because we were I think we took about eight there were about eight of us who went over the two days and that was just like as we as we've already said it's just like such a fantastic opportunity to hear those other voices network whether it's within your subject or not so um that's something I'd be really keen to continue in in sort of the this this year as well providing everybody yeah. keeps participating <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I was going to ask but I think you've kind of answered it there about hearing outside voices I was going to say you know do you value those opportunities to do things externally as well so there's a lot of internal stuff there but the 
you know, what do you what do you get as a as a teacher or as a leader when you go to an event like Festival Education or Research Ed? What is it? What is it that makes you want to go back? Well, I think it's really important to have a mix. I mean, it would be ter- it would be terrible if I was the only voice that people heard about teaching and learning at Sir William Perkins's school. Um, so we need to be as evidence informed as possible. So. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to go to the Festival of Education National uh, Conference in September. And that was just fantastic. Like our teaching learning focus this year at school is on oracy. So I was able to hear Sarah Davis speak, pick up lots of ideas on and then sort of go away and reflect and think, right, well, how can I then build this into what I'm doing within my context and likewise seeing like Brad and Jade talking about the teaching and learning spotlight magazine that's something that we've used as a focus for our working lunches over the course of the last year so looking at how those studies have perhaps progressed so it's it's just a really good way of keeping up to date and seeing what's going on in other schools because I think so often we're in our little silo of of comfort you know within our school and it's kind of nice to sort of get out and hear what's going on every everywhere else and either to you know make yourself think okay I'm on the right track here this is good or it's now we need to be doing this next and Mm -hmm. this is what we need to be working towards yeah absolutely so I think there's a there's a distinction isn't there between the more formal and the informal opportunities so all of the stuff within school or the dipping in and out of things and the the events and things are kind of informal. When I'm talking about formal, I'm, I guess I'm thinking about qualifications and that kind of thing. And do you think it's important that the teachers have the opportunity to engage with those additional qualifications? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, any, any sort of whatever they're interested in really so I'm doing a level seven qualification I know there's some good level five qualifications which we're going to be sort of directing our future leaders into sort of applying to do we're also a member of the charter college so there's some fantastic courses there so again it's we are in the it's very much in the plan over the next year or two to start to encourage our middle leaders definitely to be sort of looking at how that they can access these courses and hopefully move on to the next thing if, if that's what they want. So I think it's really important to to offer constant sort of formal CPD, providing it's, you know, relevant, beneficial to the individual, beneficial to the school. It's all got to work in that partnership um, to sort of help people grow and develop. And being done for the right reasons as opposed to a tick box exercise, exactly. right? Because I think yeah. I think things have moved on a little, but it used to be, I think, the MPQs, for example, were often used as a, I want to do this, so I need to do the MPQ. Yeah. And I think things have started shifting because there's, there's more out there with all of the different ones you've just mentioned, there's more out there. Um, but just ensuring people can do what they want, what feels relevant for them and at the end of the day, if, if someone's been forced to do one of these qualifications, they're probably not going to do that well at it because they're not going to engage well with no, it, are they? No, exactly. You've got to be like really, really passionate about it and and be able to offer it that time. Um, so like uh, my school's been extremely generous and protected a couple of periods for me to work on my level seven course. Um, but, you know, you don't get it all done in that time. So it's, it's being prepared to sometimes not see your friends and family and to sit at home and write an essay <laughs> or business <laughs> report on a Saturday and Sunday. But um, yeah, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely worth it for the amount of things that I've learned personally doing my level seven. I, you know, I don't regret it. 
it's it's one of those things that that stretches you and i think the the things that develop us most are those things that push us that little bit and when you said business report there my brain went oh my goodness what business report that goes back to talking about the you know the slightly more technical aspects of what you're doing but in i think in most teachers heads going business report goes you know that's alien to you so well, to me it's obviously going to develop you <laughs> well to me a business report was a little less intimidating than writing sort of a dissertation um okay. I, I guess I did a I did a creative degree so I you know academic writing isn't something that I've sort of done other than sort of a end of end of course this very short dissertation that you know it, w- it would have been too big a leap I felt for me so the sort of 3,500 word business reports are just right for me to be honest so um yeah oh that's great so before we move on um to the final the ra- final round of the yeah. podcast is there anything one anything you were hoping to talk about that we've not covered that I've now missed um no, I can't think of uh, uh, no. Oh. I think we're all right. All right. Perfect. Good. In that case, if anybody wants to connect with you to carry on any conversations, to hear about your raffles, to just chat general CPD stuff, yeah. where can they find you? Uh, so on Twitter, I can be found on Teaching JB. And um, there's also, if you're interested in design technology, uh, if you're a design technology teacher, my department has a Twitter account and an Instagram account, which is at Swips Design, so S-W-P-S Design. Um, so I guess actually going back to to what, what you asked me, I guess I would just like to sort of champion the subject design technology and just sort of, and just, and just yeah, sort of discuss that a little bit more perhaps. Yeah, no, go for it. Give, give me the... I've obviously I've I've had a bit of an NFL slant and that's not been on purpose but people I know teach MFL so they've come forward and I've had someone championing a bit of maths and I've had a bit of music so go on give me the the, the sales pitch first what why is it important in the curriculum oh, go just it offers so much so I mean our new GCSE spec um has so many links with maths and science and I think it it puts it it puts into practice that stuff so all of your math stuff it puts it in a real world context you're using your area your space you're measuring it puts your physics understanding materials into context all of that stuff and and not only that it just gives students the opportunity to be really creative and I think what I've aimed to do with my department um, at William Perkins School is to really really build 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 a department where students are making things that they're proud of I think my I came into the profession and I was sort of working in this kind of quite old-fashioned school initially and they were making a lot of bird boxes and steady hand games and and you know you'd sort of walk out at the end of the day and you'd see like all of them in the bin and you'd just be like oh that's so disheartening so I think my mission has been to to make my subjects as current as possible so students are making things that they're really proud of and they can just sort of connect with the subject so much more um I think that you know the programs like the sewing bee and the, the there's a woodworking program like that at the moment as well and all of that sort of stuff has helped put everything a little bit more in like the, the public domain but I just think yeah that sort of understanding of materials working in a team working in that workshop environment I think it's just completely unique 
So, do you think there's any um, misunderstandings or misconceptions that <laughs> people from other subject backgrounds might have about your subject? Yeah, definitely. They think it's easy. They're like, "Oh, <laughs> take it. It's a practical subject." It's actually not. We have a t- in our GCSE has a two-hour theory exam with maths questions, science questions, um, as well as sort of the more creative stuff. So it's definitely it's up there with the academic subjects, a hundred percent. And you know, it's definitely not just for boys. I'm very proud to work in an all-girls school with a pretty much all-female department and you know we we're really championing the the girls to be sort of as immersed in the subject as possible we're one of the most healthy option subjects in the school um and yeah I'm just very proud of that oh so you should be so you absolutely should be and it's I think it's really important that we speak to people from different subject backgrounds to our own and and take the time to understand that and what we can take from them because we don't always talk very much to people from other subject backgrounds and I've felt like those conversations the ones that have pushed me out of my comfort zone the most on this podcast because I've gone what on earth am I going to say to this person like I had a whole conversation that's not come out yet I had a whole conversation (laughs) with a primary geography specialist I went I don't know where this is going to go um but then you start to pick up all the things that you think oh yeah that didn't occur to me and oh yeah that feeds into my subject and and those opportunities, I think, are often missed because either we talk about generic teaching and learning, like you and I have yeah. for this whole time, we hadn't mentioned a subject background, or we talk about our subject with other people from our subject. Yeah, definitely. So I think maybe there's something missing there. Yeah, definitely. And I think like the Design Technology Association has had a bit of a, a sort of a rebirth recently, and they're, they're coming out with some really exciting resources. So I, I just hope that, you know, that more people are going to keep coming into the into the into the subject and want to teach it because it's just it's fantastic Uh, it's great to hear about a subject again that I I haven't engaged with much myself or heard much from other people about so thank you for that sign up to receive the from page to practice weekly newsletter to read tips and advice from my guests as well as information on upcoming episodes find the link in the show notes for this episode So we are now into our CPD library round. Um, So I think now that we are on episode 20 something, um, most people listening will have a a clue where we're going with this, but it's a range of categories. There's maybe about 10, something like that. Uh, And I'd like to hear either a book or a person or a podcast or something for you that relates to this category. So is that okay? Yeah, let's go. Perfect. Okay, first one. First got you into evidence-informed practice. So this would be the science of learning by Inner Drive. So the the however many studies it was and their sort of response to it. I think it sort of really empowered me when I was sort of starting my first sort of teaching and learning responsibility um, to sort of debunk some myths, you know, about highlighting and rereading and all of that stuff. So it really helped me sort of understand cognitive science and how it sort of works in within teaching learning and how how you know those messages that I needed to get across to to not only my colleagues but also the students as well great and you promise you haven't been sponsored by inner drive today not getting a pound for every time <laughs> no, you said no, the no. name or anything uh, <laughs> I'm gonna try not to mention them again <laughs> no I'm 
and joking. They come up all the time. It's just quite funny. Um, so resonated with you the most. So this particularly has been while I've been doing my course. So um, my my level seven senior leadership course, uh, Putting Staff First by John Tomset and Johnny Utley. Um, just them discussing their journey with all the different case studies of other schools on sort of how you know sort of enforcing that change of culture within a school it's just been you know I've been able to reference it in every one of my business reports it's just been an absolutely fantastic very accessible book lots of common sense in there yeah and quite quite a good one you could dip in and out of for specific things as well I think I was before I left my previous role I was looking at things like observation and, and performance ma- management and that kind of thing. And I was dipping in and out and taking loads of the things they'd said. So, yeah, nice book for that. Yeah, really nice. Um, challenged your views. Oh, so this is another one from the Level 7 course. So The Fearless Organisation by Amy Edmondson. Um, so this was really sort of, um, I'd heard the word psychological safety sort of battered around. And to be honest, I didn't really know what it meant. And it was reading this book really helped me obviously understand that. And the the different case studies and contexts were, were really useful. Um, and it sort of has transformed sort of how I go about writing my business reports because it's thinking all the time at the heart of making sure that everybody is on, is comfortable on that journey with you. Um, and I'd say if I'm allowed a second one, I would say Belonging by Owen Eastwood is another one, which is just, it's just really, a, it's really about getting people on board, making you feel like you're belonging as part of, you know, because we're, we're at work more than we see our colleagues, more than we see our friends, more than we see our family. So it's making sure that we feel, feel safe and comfortable to share our views is, is so important. That's great because we're getting a really good balance today of books I've definitely heard of and books I've never heard of before. <laughs> I really enjoy that about this round. Uh, where am I up to? Had the biggest impact on your practice? So I think in terms of like accessibility and the one that I've been able to recommend the most um, to people who are sort of getting started with this is Retrieval Practice by Kate Jones. Um, the first one with the pink cover. Uh, that's just so fantastic so many things that you can go away and try right then and uh and yeah it's just one that you can dip in and out of which is we've you know we've established is really important um and it it sort of really helped promote the culture of sharing good practice within my school so I remember sort of sharing a few bits from the book in a in a meeting and then you know it really started a conversation within the school with different people saying well I had a go at that the other day and you know I I did the think and link grid but I did it with this and and it, it just really sort of helped sort of snowball that sort of ethos within the school which was great. A great kickstarter yeah. for, for, for what's to come next. Um, oh, should be required reading for an ECT or ITT. Right, so there's so many of these. Um, <laughs> yep. Am I allowed more than one? Uh, I might let you go <laughs> so for I it. So I think uh, What Every Teacher Needs to Know by Jade Pierce is a really good one, and that's been our prize from our teaching learning raffle Um last year and will be again Mm -hmm. this year and I think year one that's just been brought out by David Goodwin and Michael Childs is a really good because it's got subject specific bits in it Uh, and I think so often like that there isn't that I mean Kate Jones has done it as well where she's got different subject insights but I think that does really help when you're starting out to be able to contextualize 
this into your own subject area. And I think if I'm allowed a third and final one, I would say powerful questioning by Michael Charles is another really good one because that's often something which we have to set as a bit of a uh, teacher standard six target with our PGCs and ECTs. So um, I think having a little look at that is it would be a good place to start. Uh, great. I like the way you said, if I'm allowed, and then continued. <laughs> like, there was no way I was going to stop you. You were there. I have three books, and I will say them. But everybody's the same with that one. Yeah. I can't just say one. Um, inspired you? Oh, there's, there's so many. So I'm not going to, I'm actually, I'm going to make up some from having an extra two. And I'm going to say <laughs> that um, the best thing for me, the best thing that is sort of consistently inspiring me at the moment is podcasts. So um, I have a 40 minute, a 40 minute commute each way uh, to work. And I've, I mean, I could obviously listen to audio books, but I think, you know, podcasts such as teen teaching, becoming educated, tips for teachers, that, that has just been like a really consistent source of inspiration on my way into work. On my way home from work, I do not listen to teaching and learning podcasts. <laughs> That's when the sort of like comedy and the and the music comes out. But I think it really helps me get started and inspired to start the day by, you know, sort of hearing other people's stories, other people's ideas. And, and again, it's like what you said earlier, you sort of realize through listening to things like this that you're not alone you're not the only one who's geeking out about retrieval practice or questioning. There's, there's all these other people too. And that, and that's great. (laughs) (laughs) No, and I did the same thing. I used to always on the way in, I could listen to it because I'm in the right frame of mind on the way home. No, I am done now. (laughs) I need to listen to something more lighthearted and yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good, uh, good thing to do. Um, most recent read or listen, I guess, actually. Yeah. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, our teaching and learning focus for the year is oracy, um, within my context. So I read talking about oracy by Sarah Davis. Um, I also heard her speak at the research ed national conference. Um, and it was just really, really good. There were like lots of things that I could pick out and share in my first inset day where I was sort of saying, this is why we're doing it. These are things that you could try um, and sort of connecting with her through Twitter, through research head has sort of like pointed me in the direction of Voice 21 and Oracy Cambridge. And they've just got that fantastic framework for how we can sort of address it within within schools and within our curriculum. And it's sort of like spurred us on to sort of make a rhetorical roadmap and all of that sort of thing. So, so yeah, that that's that's been a really good recent one. Oh, great. And that's the, that's one of those things that just spirals, isn't it? You start with one thing, and, oh, I'll connect with this person, I'll listen to that thing, and then the next thing you know, it's massive. I can see yeah. where that's going already. <laughs> <laughs> um, next on the to-be-read pile. Uh, so there's quite a few things. Um, there's some bits and pieces for my course. So um, I've got Matthew Syed, Rebel Ideas. I don't know what that's about yet. And I've also got another one. I'm looking at my pile now. It's got a very cool <laughs> pink front cover uh something about teaching like a pirate or something so um so yeah there's that next and also the power of teams by sam chrome i'm looking forward to reading that soon oh that's a, that's a whole collection that's yeah that's a very standard <laughs> oh, to be no. read pile isn't it there's just so much on it and i could, don't know where to start <laughs> yes exactly and i realized i cheated again and i said three so sorry about that <laughs> 
I forgive you. You've definitely not the only one who's done that. <laughs> um, so my last one is doesn't exist but should. And I, I realise it's a difficult question. Uh, everyone's taken it differently. Some people have gone for, well, I'm really interested in this one area and I can only find sporadic articles about it and no one's brought it together. Or when I first started teaching, this book would have been really useful and I don't think it's out there. So, yeah, doesn't exist but should. Uh, so I think it goes back to what I was saying about design technology um, I think I've obviously made it my aim to be as current as possible with that. And I've, you know, I've, when I was training and now for those training to be design technology teachers now, there's some really quite outdated books, which sort of shows you how to make birdhouses and steady hand games and things like that. And I think what I'd like is to create, um, if there's any publishers listening, um, feel free to get in touch but I'd like to create a really sort of beautifully presented uh sort of like instruction manual if you like for um for different projects so like either projects that we do within the school or other practitioners could contribute just sort of step-by-step instructions and how how we go about making it how it links to the sort of exam board stuff because I think what I've learned particularly with the curriculum reforms over the last couple of years getting the theory in as early as possible as early as year seven is really key so I think with each of the projects being like right well these are the opportunities to embed theory this is what the students will get from it. They go home with something that looks nice, etc. Nice. I th- I'm beginning to think I should be clipping out that last question and sending like a whole load to publishers because there's a whole treasure trove in there. I'm sure there is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So thank you. Thank you for giving up your time this evening, Joe. This has been a, nobody else will know this, but it's been a long time coming. We've had a couple of full starts on on getting together, haven't we? So now we've finally made it. And I really appreciate you spending the time to to share your your knowledge, your expertise and the, your general passion for, for what you do. No, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks. Are you interested in evidence-informed practice? Do you have a favourite edgy book? Have an idea of what great CPD is and should be? Or to just generally have a chat about education? Please sign up to join me for a conversation. I rely on volunteers from all contexts and levels of experience. Visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast for the sign up form. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag page practice podcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons. <laughs>